What is God like? It's, it's this monumental question that we've been trying to answer really for the past three weeks in this series, The Character of God. And what we've been learning in this series is that sometimes our answer to this question is we, we project onto God what he's like. And when we find reality, we find that our projection is not really who God is. Is. And so what we've been doing in this series, we've been turning to one passage of Scripture in Exodus chapter 34, if you want to turn there. And it's, it's one place where God, out of his own lips, he tells us, this is exactly who I am. It's actually the most quoted verse in Scripture. And what I want to do today as we start is I thought it'd be really good as we try to let this sink into our hearts that just as a church, we would read this verse out loud. If you feel comfortable reading, would you just read along with me? Exodus chapter 34, starting in just verse 6, it says this, say it out loud with me, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. If you ever wanted to know who God is, God says it's, it's these five attributes, and we've looked at the first three, and today we come to the fourth attribute, which says that God is abounding in what? In love. God's love is the most important, yet the most misunderstood of all of his attributes. And you might say, well, why would you say it's the most important? Well, let me just tell you my argument for why I think that probably is the case. If I just showed you the frequency in the Old Testament for how often these attributes of God are listed, if I just took the Hebrew words and counted them up in the Old Testament, here's what it would tell us. It would say that the first attribute of God, that God's compassionate, it's, it's listed 13 times in, in the Hebrew. That God's gracious, super important, that's listed 13 times as well. Last week we talked about God's slow to anger, that's listed 14 times. Next week, we'll talk about God's faithfulness, and this should raise our eyebrows, like really important. That's listed 127 times in the Old Testament. What about God's abounding in love? What about that? 245 times. Now, if you were just looking at that, what would you think God is really trying to get across to us? His love. And yet, how misunderstood Is God's love? Well, how many of us here today would just be really honest and say, we struggle feeling loved by God? My guess is that would be a lot of us. A lot of us feel unlovable. And it's like, you know, for a lot of us, we'd say something like this, you know, I know God loves the world, John 3, 16, I just struggle with God loving me. And the reason we struggle sometimes with God's love is because we sometimes ourselves feel unlovable, don't we? I mean, we think about ourselves and we think, well, I know all the things I've done wrong. I know all the ways I've messed up. I know my past. I know the shame I carry with me kind of on a daily basis of things that not even everybody knows about, right? And how could God love someone that's done all that or thinks the thoughts that I thought? Like we feel unlovable. But sometimes it's, it's not that we feel unlovable because of things we've done. It's we feel unlovable because of the way other people that said they love us have loved us, right? I mean, how many of you 
have someone in your life that was a Christian friend that said, I love Jesus, and then they betrayed you. And you're like, that's like Christian love? Like that's God's love? Or how many of you had a spouse that at one point stood at an altar and looked you in the eyes and said, till death do us part? Like that's how much I love you. And then they left you, sometimes for somebody else. And some of us had a family member that said, I love you, and then abused us. Some of us today, we had a parent that the only thing we wanted as a child growing up is we just wanted our parents' love so desperately. And it's the one thing we just couldn't ever get. And so as you go through life, you start to realize that oftentimes what we do is we confuse the love we've received or how we think about ourselves as that's probably how God thinks about us. And so the big idea I have for you today, and I think this is a really big idea. I hope if you're taking notes or you capture a picture of this, you just let this kind of sink in or you, you think on this a lot this week. Here's the big idea for today. You can't view God's love through the broken lens of how other people have loved you. I want to say it again so it sinks in. You can't view God's love through the broken lens of how other people have loved you, including how you've loved yourself. And so I feel like I've got this big task today, and it, I was praying backstage before I walked on stage, and I just, I just thought, God, I'm so inadequate to do this, and I'm just going to rely on your word today, but what I want to do today is I just want you to understand God's love deeper, and that this, that God's love is radically, radically, radically different than human love. Like it's crazy different. And I just tell you personally, I've struggled with this. Like I just know my own heart that I have struggled personally to really grasp God's love. I've had to reorient my mind so many times around God's love versus what I've projected on him. And uh, my small group this past week, we, we had this really deep conversation as a small group. We were huddled outdoors and it's starting to get nice, which I love now. And we were, we were just huddled out outside. And we had this conversation about what we talked about last week, which was, I said that oftentimes our view of God is dictated by three things. One is um, your parents or how you were raised growing up and maybe how much love you did receive or didn't receive or any sort of brokenness with your parents. Two would be the kind of church you were raised in. And if you weren't raised in church, it would be your view of how Christians treated you. And we have some very incorrect views of God based on the kind of church we grew up in. And the third thing that affects our view of God, I think, is the way we've handled pain in life. And we began talking about those and it was really deep. And as I opened up just about my own experience, I thought, man, I grew up in a church that was a good church but it, it was a church all about the rules. Anybody else? It was all about the rules. And it's like, I, I kind of felt like if I followed the rules, God loved me. And if you break one of the rules, God's like, out. And then when it came to my family, I mean, I, I had these great parents that really, really loved me. My dad was a high school football coach in a small town. And like, sports was our life. And I grew up on a sports field. I played three sports through high school. And I would be lying if I didn't at some point realize that I was trying to earn my dad's love through my performance on a field. And then I've had painful experiences in life where I thought someone loved me and then it just fell apart. And so I just know in my own heart, and our small group talked about the same thing, that all of us, we have these really imperfect views of God based on just kind of our own experiences in life. And all of us struggle which is why today 
I just want us to look at God's love. And I want to start looking at the radical nature of God's love by just looking at the word God uses when he says, I'm abounding in love. That word in the Hebrew, I think this is so significant, is abounding in love. The word love is the word hased. Now, you want to say that out loud? Just say the word hased. Hased. Now, in Bible college, um, I had this fiery professor named Dr. Nofel Staten, okay? And the day he decided to teach us about this word hased, I'd never heard the word before until I went to Bible college, and you probably haven't either. It's not like you study Hebrew, right? And so when, when we were in class, we had our, our tables were set up in a square, and he jumped in the middle of the square, and then he, what, here's literally what he did. I could see Mark Moore doing this, honestly. He literally jumped up on our table, and he screamed, Hased! And we were like, what in the world is happening here? But he didn't say it like that. See, when you say the word hased, the Hebrew dialect, it's, if you've ever been to Israel, you'd be listening to someone speak in Hebrew, it kind of comes from the throat. It's like, oh, that, that's how they say a lot of their words. And so he, you know, he said, say hased, and we were like, hased. He's like, no. You say it like this. He said, you say, hased. And so he made all of us say that, and I feel like because I got tortured, I want to make you do the same thing. So just think about like, think about like you're coughing something up and just say, chased. Everybody on the count of three, wait, one, two, three, chased. Some of you just spit on someone in front of you, you know, I was like, thanks. But when he jumped up on this table and started saying this word, I thought he was being so overdramatic. Actually, my friends and I used to make fun of him because he would jump on the table and say this word multiple times in class. And what I realize now, all these years later, is what he was trying to do is he was trying to drive into these young minds that this word is radically different. It's a radically different kind of love than any kind of love you'd ever experience in this world. In fact, I don't know if you know this, the Hebrew word hased has no English equivalent. There is no equivalent English word that could be translated properly hased. In fact, I'll just say this from a, a, this is a Wheaton Hebrew scholar, Daniel Block, he's an epic Hebrew scholar, he said this, the Hebrew has said cannot be translated with one English word. This is a covenant term, remember that. Wrapping up in itself all the positive attributes of God, love, covenant faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness, loyalty. In short, acts of devotion and loving kindness that go beyond the requirements of duty. I love that last line, beyond the requirements of duty. Lock that away because we'll talk about that later. But God's love is so different that we do not have an English word that could be translated that could capture it accurately. So when you read scripture, and we've translated Hebrew into English, all the Bible scholars struggle with how to translate it. In fact, I'll just show you a couple examples. Okay? The NIV, which we just read at the beginning, is translated abounding in love, okay? It's not just love, it's like it's abounding in love. The ESV is abounding in steadfast love. That's pretty awesome. The NASB, if you have a Bible that's translated in NASB, it's abounding in loving kindness. The New Living Translation says this, filled with unfailing love. But every single one of those translations, it just falls a little bit short. You say, well, which one's the right one? It's yes and yes and yes and so much more. 
Now, if you ask me my personal opinion, I actually kind of like the New Living Translation. That God is filled to the brim and overflowing with what kind of love? Unfailing love. You'd say, well, if, if there's no English equivalent, how could we really understand God's love? I think it's a great question. And so what I want to do today with the little bit of time we have is I think one of the best ways you can understand God's crazy, radical love for you is to compare the world's definition of love with God's definition of love. And I want to today, if you're taking notes, I want to give you three comparisons that I think if you would let these comparisons sink in, you would have a radically different view of God's love. Here's comparison number one. The world defines love as a feeling, and God defines love as his nature. Think, think about all the ways you hear people talk about love in our day and age today. What do people say? People, you, if you just listen closely, you'll hear this. We fell in love, and we fell what? Out of love. Like we fell into love. It was love at first sight, you know. And then something happened. We fell out of love. It's almost like, you know, you can start to hear that terminology and think to yourself like, man, is that what God does? Does God fall in love with us at some point? And then can he fall out of love the way we hear people talk about it? In fact, some of you, the most powerful words ever, someone ever spoke to you is, I love you. Remember that first time you're ever in like a relationship or you sit at an altar or the first time someone said, I love you? And then the most painful words many of you have heard in your life is, I've fallen out of love with you. Or some of you heard this, I never loved you ever. And we can begin projecting onto God that maybe that's how he feels about us as well. And God's love, I'm just telling you, I know I'm gonna use the word radical, but it is radical. It's just different. God doesn't define love as a feeling ever. God defines his love as a choice. It is a choice, and it's a choice that he's chosen to love you and love every person, and it doesn't change. And God's love is unfailing and never-ending. You'd say, how could that be? Like, how could God have that kind of love? Because listen to God's nature. Watch this. Love isn't just something God does. It's who he is. Like, in our terms, we are sinful people, right? Every single one of us is sinful. So as sinful human beings, we sometimes love someone and then we don't love them anymore, right? God doesn't have any sin. He is without sin. He is sinless. He is all love, which means he never stops loving. It's who he is. Listen to 1 John 4.8. Whoever does not love doesn't know God. Why? Because God is Love. My friend Max Lucado, he says this so beautifully. He says this. Water must be wet. A fire must be hot. You can't take wet out of water and still have water, right? Well, yeah. You can't take heat out of fire and still have fire. In the same way, you can't take the love out of God and still have him exist. For he was and is Love. Isn't that an amazing description? That if you took love out of God, God would not exist. 
God is love. So the first thing I want you to know today is the world defines love as a feeling. God defines love. It is his nature. And you have to let that sink in. But based on that, that the world defines love as a feeling, here's a second comparison. The world offers love based on performance. And God offers love regardless of performance. Now, just personally, this is the one I have struggled with by far the most. Just me. I told you I grew up in a a really pretty rules-based church. Uh, When I went to church, it really mattered what you wore. That's why I love at CCB, we're like, come as you are. But when I, when I was growing up, it was like, you, you gave God your Sunday best. And if not, God was probably pissed, you know? When, when I grew up in church, as a kid, if I ran in church, God was mad. Anybody else going to church like that? I just want to tell you secretly, when I walk around all of our campuses and I see kids running, I get giddy. I'm like, run, bro, run. God loves you. That's literally what I think. I'm like, I want our kids at CCV to grow up knowing God has an unfailing, never-ending love. That's what I want for our kids. But honestly, where I think I really started getting messed up, and again, I don't blame my parents for this. My dad was a coach, and he did what coaches do. He was a hardcore football coach. And I grew up on a sports field. Through high school, I played basketball, baseball, and golf. And it was like our life. And the sport I struggled the most to excel at was basketball. I know that's surprise. I know you're surprised like right now, you know. But I, I, I always blamed it on that I had small hands. I tell Jamie, if I had bigger hands, I'd be in the NBA. I know it, you know. But I always struggled with basketball. But my freshman year, the very first game of our basketball season, I exploded. To this day, it is the best game of any sport I've ever played. It's the best performance I've ever had. It's like I couldn't miss. In fact, at one point, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, at one point in the middle of the game, I think I just got done making a three, and I went like this. Yes! And I'm like telling the crowd, I'm like, get up on your feet! Everyone's going nuts and crazy. And I was like, yeah! Like, so bear, what a loser. You know, it's like... But I got done with the game. I was a high scorer on our team. Our, our team blew this other team out. And I just remember walking up to my dad. And I, just, I was like, Dad, did you see that game? And I don't blame him for this, man. He was just doing kind of what coaches do. And it's, again, he was a, he's a, my dad was a good man. Okay? But my dad looked at me and he's like, yeah. And he proceeded to tell me about three or four assignments I missed on defense. I remember walking away, and I I tell that to you because I still vividly remember it, that my heart started getting a little messed up where I thought, it's not just your performance that matters, it's your perfection that matters. And I begin to think, like, you don't just need to perform for love, you need to be perfect, you need to be perfect, and any level of imperfection Like, it could cause, like, I used to project that on God. Like, maybe God's so angry because I just messed up again and again and again and again. And I just think so many of us 
are chasing love, not just God's love, but the love from someone else in our life based on our performance. I think a lot of us here today would say something like this, if I just looked prettier, if I lost weight, if I made more money, if I drove a nicer car, if I wore the right clothes, if, if I was better in the bedroom or the boardroom or in the kitchen or with my kids, then maybe I would finally be lovable. And unfortunately, we, we just project that on God as well. You know where I, I see this with, with people all the time just as a pastor? Being honest, there's times where I'll watch someone and they know they messed up and maybe a few people around them, know, they know they messed up, but they, they know they messed up somehow. They, they maybe messed up pretty big and what they do is they stop coming to church. They stop showing up to their small group. They stop reading their Bible. And what are they subconsciously doing? They're basically subconsciously saying, God may not love me because I messed up, and I better get my life in order before I come back. Remember, if I walked into church, I'd get struck by lightning. You serve a performance-based God that God loves you because of your performance. And I'm just telling you, God doesn't love you because of your performance. In fact, I came here to sell someone so clearly today this one thing. God love for you is not based on your performance. Can I say it again? God's love for you is not based on your performance. In fact, do you, do you know when we read about God saying, I have an abounding, steadfast, unfailing love in Exodus chapter 34, do you know what the context of Exodus chapter 34 is? In my Bible, if I flip one page back to Exodus chapter 32, you know what just happened in the life of God's people? God's people just built a golden calf, gathered around it, they got drunk, and they had an orgy. Literally, that's what happened in Exodus chapter 32. The most despicable, horrible like behavior you could ever imagine just happened. And that is the context in which God says this, I love you with an unfailing, never-ending hased love. Some of you, what's in the back of your mind right now is like, so are you saying God's cool with like that orgy stuff? Or like, what's the, what, what, what are we saying here? Like, I can just kind of do whatever I want? No, God's not cool with all your behavior. He's not. All God's saying is God says, I love you still in the middle of your mess, not to spite of it. Amen? Hey, Here's how you could think about it this way. God loves you the way you are, but too much to leave you that way. And that's why he has some of you here today to remind you, I love you, but I'm not gonna leave you the way you are. See, God's love is not based on our performance, but the blessings of God, the peace of God is. Did you know that? Like some of you, the blessings of God and your obedience to God are linked. You cannot expect the blessings of God without following the obedience to God's word. So blessing and obedience, that's linked. But God's love, his steadfast love for you is not based on your performance. 
And you just need to let that sink in and think, think about the perfect parent-child relationship. And I know not, of you had a, not all of you had a perfect parent, so it doesn't link all the way, but think about a perfect parent. Can't a parent unconditionally love a child and yet in their disobedience, that child will not be blessed? Can I get an amen from some parents today? You're like, that, that child's not getting blessed. Do I love them? You better believe it. I mean, I... I feel like I'm trying to be a good dad. I love my girls unconditionally. Nothing would change that. But they don't get blessed all the time when they're being disobedient. So don't mix these two up. But this is the mystery of the gospel, God's love. I like how Tim Keller put it. He said, the gospel says, you are simultaneously more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, yet more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope. Can I read that again for somebody? The gospel says you are simultaneously more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe. We are all sinful, yet more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope. And some of you, the greatest hope you would have that God would love you in the middle of your mess, listen, it's true. He loves you. It's the most famous, yet, my opinion, least accepted verse in Scripture. John 3, 16, you know it. For God so loved. You need to put your name in there. God so loved you that if you were the most sinful, rebellious person on this earth, he still would have sent Jesus, his son. He still would have gave his only son for you so that what whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And this is where some of you need the third comparison of what God's love is like versus the world's love. And here it is. Here's the third comparison. The world defines love as a contract where God defines love as a covenant. A contract is conditional. Some of you um, are business people and you live in contracts all day long and you know this. What a contract does is a contract has terms and conditions, which means it's conditional, that as long as the terms and conditions are met in the contract, the relationship stays intact. But the moment the terms and conditions are broken, the relationship is done, it is over. A covenant is the exact opposite. A covenant says it's based on relationship and a covenant says the relationship stays intact no matter what happens. The world doesn't operate on covenant. The world operates almost exclusively on contract. In fact, the way we operate in our world today is, is if things get hard or they're not fun or we don't feel like we're in love anymore, we bail. We bail. And we, we move cities, we move jobs, we change churches, we change friends, like with the, with the drop of a hat. And you know what we do? We do it over text message instead of even in person. Right? I mean, you'll, you'll send a text message and be like, we're done. But God is so opposite to that. Remember, said is a covenant word. said is a covenant. It is everlasting. The two closest human relationships to, to said or a covenant would be a marriage relationship between a man and a wife and a parent-child relationship. A marriage was always designed to be a covenant, not a contract. And you know today, in today's day and age, and I think it breaks God's heart, 
marriage is very much a contract today where it was always designed to be a covenant. But for sure, the parent-child relationship, it's, it's a covenant. It's everlasting, right? Like Once you're a son, always a son. Once you're a daughter, always a daughter. But that's even changing nowadays. I just got done reading Elon Musk's new biography. If you haven't read it, it's, it's fascinating. But in this biography, Elon Musk, the CEO of SpaceX and Tesla, he says that, that he had a son who became transgender. And it caused so much um, you know, tension between the two of them. They just grew apart that his son, who was transgender, wrote up a contract and contractually said, I never, ever want you to be known as my father again. And to this day, Elon Musk says, it is the most painful experience I have ever had in my life. And I think it haunts him to this day. See, any time an earthly relationship, especially with a mother or father is broken, it deeply impacts our view of love. That could be true of an aunt or an uncle or a family member or a friend, but just know that that parental relationship really, really matters in terms of our view of God. And, and marriage does as well. Those of you that have lost a marriage or you've, you've gotten a divorce and you feel a lot of shame from that and someone told you they no longer love you, that's deeply impacted you. At the same time, I would tell you this, one of the most beautiful sights in the world is watching a a, a father-son relationship or father-daughter relationship that is broken, that is restored, or watching a marriage that's broken be restored. I think that picture of that restoration of those broken relationships is is a beautiful picture of God's love for us. In fact, I would tell you in my life over the past few years, two of the most powerful moments I've had as a follower of Jesus is one, watching a marriage that that actually fell apart and they got a divorce. Watching that marriage two years later, they got remarried. And I'm not saying that's that's not the story for everyone, so I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying in this situation, this marriage was restored and that is the most powerful wedding I've ever attended. The second area where, where it really just rocked me is I have a very good friend named Jeff Osborne who's on our staff. He's an incredible pastor on our staff. And his son, Trevor, ran and ran hard. Ran from God and ran from his dad and became a, a, a deep prodigal. And I just want you to see the story of a dad who chased after his son with an unending kind of love when his son questioned everything with his relationship with his dad and his relationship with God. I think it's a beautiful picture of God's love for us. Watch, watch this. To me, my relationship with, with the Lord, you know, is always seeing it as a, a rule maker. Growing up you, in Sunday school, you hear the same stories and you just go with it. Because like I said, it was just rules. I had to follow it. You know, if I didn't, I would be grounded. Then I started to question, okay, you know, maybe, you know, does it have to be one way? Plus, you know, in college, you're experiencing many different belief systems, you know, and then it would be tough for us because I would come home and, you know, then I just started criticizing the church. It was no longer that I was just quiet and just trying to get by. You know, I think that's what it always was with me and my dad is I would just, I would just hope and pray, okay, please don't ask me about purity, please don't ask me if I'm doing this. Just let's not talk about that because I don't want to, I didn't want to lie, but I would. You know, I wouldn't even consider myself a Christian at one point because I think I was just so, 
you know, set on, hey, I'm gonna do these things and, you know, there's no way the Lord's gonna accept me. Like, I just, I'm not gonna change. But obviously, relationally, it was, it was, you know, catastrophic. And that is when it really came to a peak, I think. Uh, the intense fellowship got stronger. <laughs> uh, we began to have some, some real run-ins about faith and him disrespecting our church and who we were, what we believed in. I, I remember having, you know, one of those chest-to-chest, man-to-man moments with him. And I thought at that time, I'm like, son, you don't have to believe what I believe, but please just respect me as your dad. When it started as a kid, because I thought, yeah, maybe there's pressure, maybe there's this high standard that I will never reach. But then, you know, reflecting inside was really, okay, no, I want to do these things, and I'm just, you know, I'm too stubborn to change. And I, you know, I'm not ready yet. I always told myself, okay, when I'm 35, then I'm gonna be a great Christian, because I'll get it all out of my system, I'll do these things, and then I'll come back, and I'll just be like my dad. I started to see in Trevor a sense of hitting the bottom. I think he was tired. I think he was done. I think he was, he was like, this is not working. And you, you recognize, I think, in those moments that I need to put down <laughs> the magnifying glass where I'm overemphasizing what he is doing in his state of rebellion. And you pick up a mirror and you begin to reflect on yourself and you recognize how much you need a savior. And Trevor did too. Yeah, I think, you know, when I I had realized, you know, when I finally had surrendered and realized, you know, hey, you know, the Lord loves you. And then realizing, oh, wow, you know, the whole time, so is he. If I was a father, to myself, I would definitely just be as upset as he was. And I finally understood, oh yeah, I totally get it. Because I am, you know, his son, I'm the same, you know, makeup as him. So now it finally, you know, came full circle and I realized, oh wow, yeah, he wanted what's best for me, just like the Lord does. I will tell you, um, as a parent, the one moment you want to be at and you don't want to miss, is when you look down the road and they take a turn off that prodigal road. And they turn to come home. That is the moment you don't want to miss. That is the moment that matters. Loving him through all of it and going through this cycle of release, trust, pursue, release, let go, trust God, come back, pursue him, doing anything to maintain influence in their life. That great pursuit is what God does with us. He, he loves us too much to let us go. And so he pursues and he comes after us, but, but he doesn't over pursue. He didn't chase down the prodigal road. He waited till the sun 
turned and came home and then was there with open arms. But it's being there when they turn the corner and they don't feel um, a sense of, I told you so, or a sense of, here's the demands if you wanna come back home, but just these open arms, this crazy embrace that says, you're home. Um, you know, I finally got into a great relationship and we're getting married and I definitely, you know, realized he is the best man in my life, you know? Um, best friend, you know, we've been through so much. So, you know, um, I thought there would be no, no greater honor than to, to ask him, you know, to, to be the best man in my wedding. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a great moment. I think just realizing, wow, you know, look how far we've come. And, you know, I'm just so grateful for, you know, the grace that the Lord shows us and that he showed him and that he could realize that too, to, that he was first, you know, shown grace and forgiven, that he could do the same for me um, and that we can be here today and just have, you know, a, a beautiful, you know, moment with this wedding coming up uh, a week from now and, and just, you know, be in this relationship and still not be perfect, but just to be in relationship. I think that's, that's what's, I, uh, I remember praying and fasting for Trevor, for him to just come home, not to the love of his father only, but to receive the love of his heavenly father. And I've been praying the same all week long for someone here today, that you would realize the deep love of God. You would, relieve, you would realize what Ephesians chapter 3 says. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Do you understand there's a love of God that surpasses your understanding? That no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter the deep pit of sin you're in right now, no matter what someone said about you, no matter what an ex said or a teacher or a coach or someone else said, you're unlovable, you're worthless. No matter how many times you've said that about yourself, that you just today understand there's a love of God that hasn't changed. He's never stopped loving you, amen? Someone needs to hear it today and like just feel it, just receive it. And listen, you can't view God's love for you through the broken lens of how other people have loved you. And God's love hasn't changed. In fact, did God wait for you to get your act together before he sent Jesus? No, what is, what is Romans chapter five, verse eight says, for God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were a sinner, that's how much God loved you. He sent Jesus for you. And I just wanna tell you as we wrap up today what's on the line if you don't really grasp God's love for you. See, there's a parent here today and your kids are begging for your love, but it's hard for you to give it because you've never received God's unconditional love. And there's a marriage here today and your marriage is like sand, I mean, it's just all the time. And the reason why is because you're wanting love from your spouse that you could only receive from God. And you have unrealistic expectations on your spouse. 
They're not perfect. Only God's love is perfect. There's a man or woman here today, and I'm telling you, you feel so much shame. And, and you're almost, un, you, you push people away because you feel unlovable. And you'll never be able to receive another person's love until you receive the love of your heavenly father. In fact, there's someone online right now, you don't show up to church because you don't feel loved. And right now, I just want every head bowed, I want every eye closed, and I want to pray today that you would experience the love of God like never before. Father, your love is not a feeling, the way this world describes love. Love is your nature. It's who you are. And God, you, do, you don't define love as, as performance. You love us regardless of our performance. Would someone feel that today? And God, your, your love, this has said, it's, it's a covenant, not a contract. And Father, would we receive your love, someone maybe today for the very first time, so that we can then give love to others in this world the way you want us to. Father, thank you for your love, your never-ending love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Hey, this week, would you rest in God's love. See you next week, CCV.